You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 21. We are in the home stretch. I mean, literally, not even the home stretch anymore. Uh, We're at the tail end of the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John for almost a year as a faith family. And so we just have this week and then next week, and then we'll wrap that up. You might be wondering and asking, I've already been asked a couple times today, Adam, what are we going to be going through together as a faith uh, family? Uh, Once we're done with the Gospel of John, we're going to be going through uh, kind of a survey journey through 1 Timothy um, we're going to be looking at God's design for the church. What, how has God designed his church? What is the church? We're going to be asking ourselves, what is the church? What is not the church? How is the church supposed to be structured? What is the church supposed to be looking like? And so we're going to be going through that through uh, 1 Timothy for a couple of months this fall. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. The last couple of weeks, we have seen here in the Gospel of John, we saw the crucifixion of Christ. We saw that when uh, Jesus in John chapter 19 was, was crucified, and there where he was crucified, as we know, he, he paid the price for the sins of the world. We talked about the significance of that statement that Jesus made of, it is finished. We talked about how that was the redemptive plan of God from eternity that that was finished, that our sin, our guilt is finished if we trust and believe in Jesus. Last week, Mike Sanders from Cross Fellowship Church walked us through the resurrections and the implication of the, of the resurrection uh, on us. And now we're going to see Jesus really begin to fully wrap up his ministry uh, with his disciples on earth, and then, then as he ascended into heaven. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 21. There's a Bible there in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, that Bible is our church's gift to you. And so we would uh, love for you to take that with you and have a copy of the Bible in your hand. So look at John chapter 21, and we're going to begin looking at verse 1. It says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So it's kind of interesting here that we see in verse 1, Jesus revealed himself again. Jesus is going to show himself 
to the disciples. And what's also interesting in this passage is that we see that these men had returned back to their occupation. Remember that we saw this months and months ago when we were going through the Gospel of John when Jesus called his disciples to follow me, many of them had been fishermen. And so it almost can appear that they had returned back to their career of fishermen, that perhaps they thought that their ministry with uh, Jesus was over, but that is not what's happening here. Because we remember in John chapter 20, Jesus had commissioned them and told his disciples by saying to them that as the Father sent me, As God the Father sent me, now I send you. So now they're back to catching fish. So it's possible that when Jesus told them that as the Father sent him, he was going to send them, that they did not fully comprehend what was going on there. And so Jesus had also told the disciples previously to wait that the Holy Spirit was going to come and that the, the, the Holy Spirit was promised, and so they're going to wait for them. So it's very most, it's most likely that here what's happening, why the disciples had gone back to fishing, was because they were just simply waiting for the Spirit that Christ had promised them. But anyway, Peter tells these disciples, I'm going fishing. And Jesus uh, and Peter goes fishing, and so Jesus stands on the shore. But the disciples—they're not—they don't recognize him, do they? They think it's a stranger standing there on the shore. They don't recognize him, and they had not caught any fish, as so often is the case in fishing. They did not catch any fish. And I remember when I was—I uh, went to college in Wisconsin, and one of the things that people like to do in, in Wisconsin is called ice fishing which is a miserable experience. But I had some friends of mine that were there. They were from Michigan and Wisconsin, Minnesota. And so they thought it'd be a fun thing to go ice fishing. And so we went ice fishing, which involved drilling a a hole in the ice and sitting on a block of ice for hours on end in the January weather to ice fish. I think people in Wisconsin uh, ice fish as an excuse to drink. Drink so they can stay warm. But you would fish and we would go out there and we would catch nothing. So we'd sit on this block of ice, standing over a hole in the ice without catching anything. And this has happened to these guys. They had fished all night. They don't catch anything. They hadn't caught anything. So early in the morning, Jesus tells them, and again, they think it's a stranger. They don't know it's Jesus on the shore. And Jesus tells them to cast their net to the right side of the boat. So they do it. Now, it might seem odd that these guys would cast the net on the right side of the boat from a stranger. But if you've been up all night and you've been fishing and you haven't caught anything, what do you have to lose? Why not throw it over to the side on the right side of the boat? And so they do. They cast the, the, the net on that side and they catch so much fish fish that they can't bring it in. The weight of the fish in the net, they are not strong enough to get the fish into the boat. And John, who is the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, he's also the writer of this gospel, he says it is the Lord. The light bulb goes off. Okay, not any ordinary stranger would be able to tell the, tell us to cast the net on one side of the boat, and now we can't even bring it in after fishing all night, not catching anything. So John immediately realized, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. No one else could do this. Let's keep going. Let's see what happens. Look at the second part of verse 7. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged, plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised to the dead. So we see verse 7. John calls out to Peter, it is the Lord. And what does Peter do? I love Peter. This guy, he is a wild bunt. He's a wild guy, isn't he? He is crazy. He ties his outer clothing off because he takes his clothes off. He jumps into the ocean, into the sea, and he goes and meets Jesus. Now, I see that. I'm like, okay, I appreciate Peter. But I, I kind of identify with the other disciples here because I would have been frustrated with him. Yes, it is Jesus, but stay in the boat, doggone it, and help us bring the fish in. So, G, uh, so Peter just abandons the other disciples. They've got to figure out. I mean, the boat's probably about to sink. They can't haul the fish in. They're about 100 yards away, so the length of a football field, away from the shore. Peter says, peace out. He's gone. He's gone off to Jesus, and these poor other disciples have to drag the net full of fish. I wonder if they had a conversation with Peter later on. Don't do that anymore. Don't leave us hanging like that. But Peter leaves them hanging with a, full, a, a, a net, net full of fish. They get onto the land. They see a charcoal fire there, and um, I have come, I like to grill, and I grill with propane gas because it's more convenient. I'm getting dirty looks. Even as I say that, it's more convenient. But most, a lot of people say there's nothing quite like grilling with charcoal. It just tastes better and all those kinds of things. Well, Jesus is using charcoal. I don't know where he got it from, but Jesus has got charcoal, and he is cooking fish. He's got some bread there. And so what Jesus is doing, he is, he's cooking them breakfast. Jesus was cooking his disciples breakfast. They had been up all night not catching any fish, and so I'm sure they were hungry. Jesus was cooking them breakfast, and so we see another picture. We've seen consistently through the Gospel of John a picture of Jesus as a servant. Remember, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he, he dressed as a servant, as a slave, and, and he he washed their feet, teaching them that they needed spiritual cleansing. Here we see another picture of Jesus being a servant. Not too long before, maybe just a few weeks before, Jesus had died on the cross for the sins of the world. He's been resurrected gloriously. Jesus has brought life and empowerment to the disciples and if anyone had an excuse to mail it in here at the end of his ministry, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus isn't mailing it in. He's serving the disciples breakfast. And now this might not seem like a 
big deal. But again, we see Jesus demonstrating, being an example to his disciples that they following him, being a follower of Jesus is not the high position. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we're actually not supposed to reach and grasp after the top place as our culture likes to teach us, but we are to glory in being in the low spot. We are to glory in serving others. As we're going to see in 1 Timothy in a few weeks, as we go through God's design of the church, that really as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, we are called to serve one another, to be a slave to Christ and to serve others. So Jesus is laying this example out to them. Yes, he's the Messiah. He's died on the cross for their sins. He's been gloriously resurrected. Yet he's doing a menial, menial task of making them breakfast on the, on the beach. And brothers and sisters, we must remember that being a follower in Jesus Christ is all about service. It's serving God, it's loving God, and it's serving and loving others. So Jesus, again, is taking the low spot. He's serving them breakfast, and he's laying out that example to these guys that are about to go be sent out, as Jesus told them in John 20, to be sent out to start his church. He's laying out the example of leading the church is serving. And then John lays out this was the third time Jesus had appeared to them after his resurrection. But let's keep going in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. These verses of 15 through 19 is pretty dramatic. After they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Now, some people believe that perhaps Jesus and Simon may have gone off to a secluded place and had a one-on-one conversation. We don't know that. There's no proof of that, but there's definitely that possibility. But Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Peter says yes. Jesus proceeded to ask Peter two more times if he loved him, and 
Peter was grieved by this. This is an important conversation that Jesus is having with Peter. Because you remember that Peter had spoken boldly about his commitment to Jesus in front of the other disciples. In fact, in front of the other disciples, Peter had said, I would die for you. I would die with you. Peter told Jesus, I'm all in. But what happened at the trial of Jesus? He denied Jesus publicly three times. Now, sometimes we can think when in Peter's denial in John 19 to John 21 that a great period of time went by, but it was only just a handful of weeks. It wasn't very long. Maybe a month had gone by. And so Peter had publicly denied Christ three times, and here we see Jesus is reinstating Peter to the ministry. Now, we don't know if there had been conversations between the disciples since Peter's denial of Christ. We don't know if the other disciples knew about that situation. We don't know if Peter had confessed that to them. We don't know if if Peter had told them. We don't know exactly what had happened, but we do know that Jesus knew about the, the denial. And publicly, Peter had removed himself for the group. And so for Peter, whatever potential for future service he had depended not only on the forgiveness from Jesus, but also he needed the reinstatement among the other disciples. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And it's significant here that Jesus asked him three times. Because Peter had denied Christ three times. And so Jesus is sending a message here. He asked him three times. And John records that Peter is upset. Did Jesus really have to ask that many times? Why not just ask Peter once and then believe Peter? But because of Peter's denial three times, Jesus requires, and it may seem petty, but it's not, requires him to confess his love three times. We don't know what Peter's grief here was. We could assume that perhaps that he was grieved by the fact that maybe Jesus was doubting his love, but I don't think that's what Jesus was doing here, doubting his love. I think the grief and the hurt and the pain in this moment that Peter is feeling is caused by the memory of this denial. I'm sure Peter, for the rest of his life, would have memories of that denial. But here Jesus doesn't put Peter on a guilt trip. He just reminds Peter of his purpose. He tells him, feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. 
And I think Peter gives a pretty brilliant response. He tells Jesus, listen, you're God, you're omniscient, you know everything, so you know I love you. And Peter is exactly right. Jesus knew the love that Peter had. But Jesus is reminding Peter of his purpose and his mission to feed and serve the church. And Jesus echoes the words back. He says the two words that he had told Peter a few years before. He says, follow me. Come back. Follow me. Jesus forgives Peter. He reinstates him into ministry. Peter is to care for the flock. He is to love and comfort and serve the children of God. And I said this a couple weeks ago when we talked briefly about the denial of Christ that Peter had, that many times it's easy for us to read that and to pass judgment on to Peter. But I think if we read and understand Peter in a humble spirit, we see a little bit of Peter in ourselves. Because how, how often, though, we may not publicly or blatantly deny Christ, but every time we sin, we are guilty of idolatry, and that is a betrayal of Jesus. Because ultimately, every sin we may commit is a, ultimately a sin of idolatry because we want something more than Jesus. And so, so many times we are like Peter, and I see a beautiful picture here after this time between Jesus and Peter, and perhaps the other disciples were there too, I see a beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ. Because every one of us have been born into this world where we are absolutely rebellious towards Christ. We're, we're rebellious towards Him. We shake our fists at Him. But Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers relationship. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ, know that there is forgiveness offered by Jesus. That Jesus wants to reinstate you into relationship with him, the God of the universe. And he did that by dying on the cross and resurrecting to give you brand new spiritual life. But then if you're also a believer in Jesus Christ, we must understand that Jesus still offers forgiveness. Perhaps you're haunted by your past, by memories of a past life or a past sin that you may have lived in or committed, but Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus offers reinstatement. And just as Peter had denied Christ, oftentimes we want to go our own way and we want to live our own way, but Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers a repair of a relationship. But the enemy, Satan, loves to whisper lies in our ears and remind us of past memories, of past sins. And though Jesus is not pleased by our sin, he offers forgiveness. 
He offers reinstatement. And so this morning, I encourage you, no matter what is going on in your life, or no matter what past sins we may commit, or whatever sin we may be living with currently, Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration. We need to run to Him. Run to Jesus and understand what He has given to us. And then as brothers and sisters in Christ, let's have grace for one another. Because often we are the most judgmental people. Someone may sin, someone may have a past history, and we pass judgment on them, and we have this litmus test that to be a good Christian, we have to pass this litmus test. And Jesus here, he's not really offering Peter a litmus test. When he asked, Jesus, when he asked Peter, do you love me? That's not a litmus test. That's a reminder It's a reminder. He's telling Peter, I have called you out to to start my church, to feed my, my sheep, to shepherd my sheep. So nowhere do we see Jesus's love contingent based upon what we do. But so often we've created this environment in our churches and in our ministries that you have to pass these tests in order to be in leadership. You have to do things this way in order to uh, be respected or to be viewed as spiritual. And faith family, we've got to stop. There is no litmus test for spirituality. You know why? Because we are all deniers. We are all sinful, and it might look different, but each one of us on a daily basis deny Christ. There's been times this week where I've denied Christ. And don't look at me that way. Don't look at me surprised because you have denied Christ too. And yet Jesus is always there, and he offers forgiveness He offers restoration and faith family. We need to be a place that offers forgiveness and restoration, no matter the background, no matter the sin, no matter the past, no matter the way someone looks or dresses or uses any kind of spiritual lingo that we love to toss around. But we must live how Jesus lives with forgiveness and restoration. And if you know, we have such a benefit. We have the hindsight of ours being 2020, and we know what Peter did. Peter went out from there, and he was one of the cornerstones of the church. Not the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of the church. One of those that built the foundation of the church that you and I today reap benefits from. Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration, and he uses Peter in an incredible way. You can read about that in the book of Acts and even in some some of Peter's writings later on in the New Testament of how Jesus uses Peter. And Peter, he's just a flat-out knucklehead. He's the guy that jumps into the uh, sea Without his, uh, without his outer garments on, and I would probably argue without any undergarments on either. And j- he jumps into the ocean, leaves his bros back into the boat to haul the, the, the fish himself. And he's selfish 
in everything he does. He's a loud mouth and he puts his foot in his mouth. Yet Jesus forgives and restores him and uses him in a great way. And faith family, if you're like me, I see a lot of Peter in myself. Because I am selfish, I put my foot in my mouth, I'm a knucklehead, yet Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration. And so as we leave this place here in just a few minutes, let's live in light of the forgiveness and the reconciliation we receive in Christ. Let's live in that light, let's not live a life of guilt. As we live here, let's leave here, let's not be guilty of, in our minds or even practically in living it out, a litmus test of spirituality, but let's understand that we're all in the same boat together. We're all like Peter as well. But most of all, if you are here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, maybe you are tempted to believe the lie that Jesus could never forgive you, could never restore you and reconcile a relationship with you. We see over and over and over again, Jesus offers forgiveness and relationship. And believe that. And trust that. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Though we are all much like Peter in that we are rebellious and we're immature and we sin consistently, thank you for forgiving us. So we ask for your forgiveness. We say thank you for your reconciliation. Change us as you changed Peter. Change us to be more like you. Change us to when we are out in our community, in our world, that we are your representatives, your missionaries, and we're making you non-ignorable where we're at. I pray for anyone here that maybe is really wrestling with past memories, with past sins, Jesus, I pray that they would feel your mercy and your grace today. Lord, I pray for anyone that maybe has never truly believed you. I pray that you would reveal, Holy Spirit, the forgiveness that you provide. And we ask all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. <laughs>